This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but if you have any questions, concerns, or comments like, wow, what is all this rain going to do to my plant materials? You can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Just during this past week, uh, I was talking about rain. Uh, Mark Reardon had me as a guest on his show because he was concerned that his lawn had been impacted by the rain. But I explained to him, no, it was not the rain. It was he was cutting his grass or having his grass cut too short, and it was sunburnt. So you never know what's going on. But anyway, on Saturday mornings, we get together, and we discuss uh, uh, anything about your landscape, your backyard, what's going on there. When you're walking around the side yard, squish, 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 squish. Gee, it's really, really wet. Especially garden space, how about uh, the taste of the tropics, your houseplants? And what is a potting mix? How to improve your soil, shearing and pruning, removing bugs and diseases. Why was there so many gnats out last week? It was unbelievable. Using information to make good decisions. My thoughts and orchestrations hopefully will open and solidify options for you to make the final judgment on the action that you want to take. By the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever you're listening from. Another very important player in this game is Alex. Alex is here producing, and uh, when you call, he will answer the phone. He'll ask your name and where you're calling from, and that will be uh, get you on the list. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. I also write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine, which is a magazine that comes out every other month through the year. And uh, unfortunately, in that magazine, I'm the last article in the magazine. I don't know if that means I'm good or I'm at the sort of the end and falling off the end. It doesn't matter. <sighs> During the week and on weekends now, I do something I call a walk and talk, which is a landscape consultation. I come to your home. And I take a look around with questions, answer questions you have, also make observations on things that may be impacting your landscape. Today, Oakville and then South County. So kind of close together. I try to cluster things. As much as I enjoy highway time, I like to cluster things to minimize that highway time. What you can do is you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage has my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. This morning as I got out of bed, I kept seeing these flashing lights. I thought, oh, God, there must be some kind of utility truck outside because they were flashing constantly. It was like this, this is what it had to be. But no, it was lightning. There was no sound or anything, so the lightning was really high in the sky. But the flashing went on constantly for almost a half hour. 
Well, this is the second day of summer, so I decided to do, to do a tour de yard. Highlight right now is my purple coneflowers and lemon verbena combo, and that's in the alley bed space between my garage and the alley. The coneflowers are absolutely striking. Now, I will have to admit the rain of the last uh, 24 hours or so, some of them have been sort of knocked down a little bit, but uh, those things are tough. They're probably between three and four feet high. And then the lemon verbena is a little bit shorter, but uh, lemon verbena I like because, well, uh, purple coneflowers I like because of the butterflies and just look and everything else. But the lemon verbena has the foliage smells like lemon. So every time you just walk by, you can just grab your hands down into it and ah, nice and refreshing. So that's first place. Second place in my landscape, the sweet, the white sweet alyssum. I've got a couple different beds that are embracing my driveway, and man, they are absolutely just full of the sweet alyssum. And that's one of those annuals that self-seeds and really, really works well. Third place goes to the gold moss, the sedum acre, and the yellow moneywort. That's in the bed spaces between the sidewalk and street. And last place, well, I have to give a last place if you're going to get first, second, third. It goes out to the knockout roses. My knockout roses, I don't know what has happened. I've got them in pots. And the first flush this year was pretty good. But since then, they have done nothing but sort of head downhill. I've fertilized. I've done everything possible. I guess I should contact the Rose Society to find out what's going on. But I'm fearful that uh, they're headed for the uh, landfill dumpster. I'm just sort of tired of them. But uh, other things happening around the yard, uh, the pansies are still worth keeping. I mean, they're still flowering and really looking pretty good. I've got a, a couple window boxes of sage and thyme combos. Very, very showy. My lawn really looks great. It's kind of like the Emerald City lawn or something like that. The only problem is because of the rain factor, I'm not able to get a broadleaf weed killer out there. So there's certain areas that really aggravate me because of the broadleaf weeds. In pots, I've got my cannas and elephant ears, woo, and some uh, begonias, amaryllis. They all look really, really great. And uh, on the ground, underneath mugo pine, there's palace purple coral bells. There's three different varieties of ferns and the hosta. They're loving the weather and loving the rain. I also have within that yellow sedum, sedum acre in between the sidewalk and street, I buy packs of portulaca, which is sometimes called moss rose. I just dump the pack, seed packs of moss rose in there, and now they're starting to come into flower. Ah, the rain has stopped. The breeze is picking up. A uh, very good day, this being the second day of summer. But remember, when we have this amount of rain, plants in pots and even plants in the ground really are probably going to need some additional fertilizing. So that is really important. With things like vegetable gardens and edibles and things like that, there's something called side dressing where you actually put the fertilizer along the side of the the plants because, I mean, it's I don't know how much rain we had within the last 24 hours, but a lot. So just make sure you keep everything well fertilized. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes. Go ahead, Alex. Oh, I'm, I'm failing at my duties. All right, we're going <laughs> to check in with um, 
with George in Florissant right now. Hey, George, how are you? Mike, good morning. How are you doing? I have one quick question, if you can believe that. Um, I just got uh, about three bottleneck uh, buckeye plants, okay? Yes. Is there any special thing I can do to them or being at the, you know, newly planted? Um, I know they get real aggressive, correct? Uh, well, they're invasive, but they're not going to take over like a weed or something like that. So, right. So you're talking okay. about bottle brush buckeyes, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So, I mean, they colonize, but uh, they're not, the, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen within the first probably couple of years. So I wouldn't be overly concerned or worried with them. Uh, just make sure my only concern is, especially when we've got rain circumstances like we have this year, uh-huh. uh, that when they were planted, the top of the root ball, about 15 or 20 percent, was above the surrounding ground. So if there's any settling, they won't settle below grade and then have water sit around the base no. of them and kill them off. Actually, there's there, there, there's a lot of rock around them, so there's good drainage. Okay, that's what basically is what's needed. Okay, cool. Awesome, awesome. And I had it done professionally because I didn't want to mess them up, you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 and plus, plus with the year uh, guarantee, so that helps too. Yep. So anyway, okay, well, good. Have a great day, okay? Okay, you do the same okay. thing. Nice talking, Mike. Thanks. Yep. Bye. Okay, now we're going to check in with Ralph and Dittmer. All right, let's head to Dittmer. Hi, Ralph. Uh, Mike, I'm a first-time caller, but my uh, coffee and I listen to you every Saturday morning. Well, great. i got two questions. I have Bradford pear trees that are over 25 years old. They did have the nice white uh, flowers this spring, but now all the leaves are turning black and dropping. Ooh. Are they over the hill? Uh, sounds like it. They could have a disease called fire blight. Usually fire blight only starts with, you know, certain ends of branches. But if the whole thing is losing leaves and turning brown, and I'm not saying 100% of the leaves or anything like that, that's probably a result of all the rain we've had. And that's, you know, it's, I'm not saying they're dead. I would certainly leave them in place, but just realize that this may be, let's say, getting close to the grand finale. Well, is there anything you... You treat them with for fire blight? No, there's nothing that's effective. Once it's an internal type thing, it's spread by, let's say, beetles that are not inoculated with them with the fire blight, and they come in and they get in and they sort of, let's say, trigger the a new fire blight on a different tree. So that's okay. So just let them go at least another year. Yeah. Okay. Second question. Uh, I. <laughs> found a cache of milkweeds in a field uh, that's going to be destroyed, and I, w- I would like to harvest those. Uh, should I dig out the plants now or wait or take the tops, or what do you do for that? Well, basically, you're going to have to get the entire plant if you're going to do it now, or you can wait until they start producing the seed pods and then gather the seed pods. But if you have the option of being able to go out and dig them, now, if you're doing that this time of year, you may end up spending a whole lot of energy, mental and real energy. And uh, because of the, our weather, we don't know what's going to happen heat-wise and everything else. They may not be able to get acclimated you know, to the new location you've moved to. But I would certainly give them a try. And what I would probably do is I'd dig some out and put them directly into the ground in the bed space. But also what I would do with some others is I would dig them out and put them in pots with plants with potting mixed for starting plant material, and then sink the pots into the ground. So you got two How different. How deep the roots to dig? 
Uh, what's that? How deep are the roots? Probably, I, if you went one shovel deep, that would be more than adequate. Okay. And the pods, uh, they look like they already have pods, which is how I found them. They're not ready yet, though, to harvest. No, I wouldn't are think they? so. So if you just pluck, if you pluck those off, they're not going to do anything for you. Okay, so I'll just uh, dig some out and wait a while for the rest. Thanks right. for your show, please. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Okay, we're going to check in with Cleo from Olivet. Hi, Cleo. Hi. Hi. Hi, mine. I have a question about crocosmias. About and, uh, I didn't I want to know the best way to plant them. I'm thinking about planting them next to an azalea bush. Are they invasive or? Now, I didn't understand specifically what plants you were saying. Crocosmias. Oh, okay. You don't have to worry about that. Crocosmias. So they're not going to be invasive. They're not going to, as long as your azalea is healthy and everything else, you don't have to worry anything about putting them in, you know, in close proximity to that. Okay, and should I go ahead and put them in now? Because I just thought it, it's only the blades that are showing now. Right. So I would get them, uh, we've got a couple. Yeah, I would go ahead and just plant them. As long as the foliage, you know, the blades, the leaves still look good and green and everything else, I'd go ahead and install them right now. Oh, okay, thank you. I have one more question. Sure. I have a knockout rose. It's yellow, and it bloomed at the beginning or middle of spring, and it's not doing anything now. Well, I'm I'm having the same problem with some red knockouts myself, so I don't know exactly what's going on with them. I would say, have you fertilized it and everything else, and does the foliage look okay? The foliage looks fine, yes, I have fertilized. Okay, so then I would just, you know, why it's probably the amount of, you know, cloud cover or who knows exactly what it is, but if it looks overall healthy, I would just not be overly concerned or worried. Okay, and another one just had holes in the leaves. That, you know, that's infected a, with something? Yeah, that's an insect, you know, circumstance. So you have to spray the underside of the leaves as opposed to uh, spraying on the outside, on the upper level, you know, upper, let's say upper part of the foliage. Or you can go to your favorite garden center and get a systemic insecticide. And what that is is it goes into the veins of the tr- of the rose, and if insects feed, then it kills them before they do major damage. Now, this will not get rid of the holes that are in the leaves. What it will do is just prevent, you know, new leaves from getting holes in them, you know, if the insect is still there that has caused a problem. It's probably, caterp- you know, small caterpillar. It's hard to tell which, it, you know, what it is, but... Uh, I would I would get a systemic insecticide and just kind of give that a shot. Okay, thank you so much. Certainly. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, now we're going to check in with Ray from Clayton. Hi, Ray. Hey, Mike. Uh, quick question for you. I put in wisteria a few years ago along a fence in the backyard, and it's spreading like crazy, like through the ground. I, I, I had seen that they'd spread a lot, but I thought it meant spread above the fence, so... It's kind of out of control, and I'm wondering, can I stop that spread through the ground where it's extending itself, or do I have to just take take the whole thing out to stop it? No, you can. What it's doing is sending rhizomes out, you know, which are root systems, and so you can wherever the original trunk is, you can go back and just start, you know, maybe go out a couple feet where the first, let's say, sprig is coming up. And just chop right on the in between the original plant and the new sprig, and then pull that up out of the ground. Oh, but I'd have like 
almost a dozen of them. They kind of just shot up over time here. So, so if I cut it back all the way, so I think what you're saying, if I kind of use the tree as a hub, if I cut off all the spokes from the tree, right, that'll get a lot of them. Yes, you should get. I mean, you should get the ones you're going to pull. You know where you've ch- you know, you chop the root from. You know, let's say in, again in between the mother plant and the young one. You chop the you just drive a shovel right down beside that and just pull that thing up out of the ground entirely. Okay, so just keep pulling them up as they go, and eventually I'll get get them all. Is what you and then <laughs> well, you yeah, you're probably not going to get them all because it's going to consistently continue to do the same thing over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I got to okay, okay, all right. I do have one other question on, on the roses you mentioned about the, with the we get the, the Japanese beetles and and we've got a neighbor that's got an older rose and they don't have any of those problems. Is there a and I have knockout roses I bought. Are there any new ones that that don't aren't susceptible to that? No, there really isn't. I mean, the Japanese okay. beetles are just ferocious. Again, using a, syst- a systemic s y s t e m i c insecticide is probably the best approach to take. Yeah, I've been using it. They um. They don't seem to mind. Well, they cut it back, but they still come. So, okay. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, they're ferocious. I mean, it's there's no getting around it. And once they're on a rose, they have a kind of a tendency to hang out around that rose until you pluck them off. And I mean, people pull them off and drop them into bowls of you know dishwasher uh, soap and water and just drown them that way. And you know, there's all kinds of different ways to control them. Right. Sure, you do the very same thing. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, just as a reminder, the University of Missouri does a Missouri Environment and Garden newsletter. And I've mentioned this the last couple of weeks because every week it seems to rain. But at this again, the, let's say the highlights of it, after flooding or overwatering, the gas exchange between the soil and the air is greatly reduced. What happens, microorganisms will then consume much of the oxygen that's in the water and soil. Lack of soil oxygen can induce lots of different changes, adverse changes to the vegetation and to fruit set and everything else. So... I mean, it's just amazing what this, you know, not planting things correctly or even sometimes planting them correctly. But if we have exceptional amounts of rain, it can cause some, you know, let's say down, downturn of plant material like dropping fruit because it's just there's not enough oxygen for the plant to support the fruit. So anyway, where we're headed, Alex? We're going to head to Highland, Illinois, and that's where Rich is calling in from. Hi, Rich. Good morning. Yes, go ahead. Um, I've got an old um, railroad tie retaining wall, and I'm trying to to plant some kind of plant, ivy probably, that would cascade down this retaining wall and and fill it in and to kind of hide it. The only problem is it is in the sun almost the entire day. And I was wondering if there's something, some kind of good ground cover that would grow and, and um, like I said, go cascade down that wall. Well, can you plant something at the bottom of it? I could, 
that could that would be able to grow up also yes there there's a there's a second level there's actually two retaining walls okay Probably what I would do is, even though this is deciduous, so in the wintertime it's just going to look like, you know, you know, let's say vines with no leaves crawling all over the wall, I would look at Boston ivy, planting at the base. Boston ivy is the ivy that grows on the outfield in Wrigley Field. Okay. And so it gives you great fall color. It's tough. It's durable. It's very fast. And if, if we've had a lot of, let's say, sound barrier walls put along the highways here in the metropolitan area and a lot of people are planting this boston ivy it's climbing up on the walls it's you know just to make it so it doesn't look so industrial with these kind of concrete sections now that's not you i realize that you have railroad retaining walls but the boston ivy is probably i would probably buy them uh at least as maybe a one or two gallon pot and Depending upon how fast you want it to infill, I'd probably plant them maybe every six, seven, or eight feet apart and uh, just let them go from there. Okay, that, that was going to be my next question. How far apart do you plant them? Right. All right, perfect. So the sooner, I mean, the closer you put them together, the, the quicker it's going to cover it. But sometimes then, you know, you've kind of spent more money than you needed to do. So it just depends upon how patient you want to be. Okay. Sounds good. Boston Ivy. Yes, Boston Ivy, Parthenocissus. <laughs> but yeah, just go online, just put Boston Ivy in. And this, again, the same one that's growing on the outfield, you know, walls in Wrigley Field. Okay, thank you very much. Yep. Okay, now we're going to check in with Dee Dee from O'Fallon, Missouri. Hi, Dee Dee. Hi, Mike. Yes, go ahead. Um, I have a question. Um, I have older Bradford pear trees and a lot of the leaves are turning yellow orange and under the leaves they have like hair like spores um could that be from too much rain yeah it's probably just you know it's probably a fungus type thing on the foliage so not too much you can do about it with most of the fungus situations and we didn't know that was going to be this rainy or anything else but Applications of the fungicides before it's there's obvious signs of the fungus is the best way to eradicate it. You could put you could spray oh. them with fungicide now if you wanted to, and that would arrest the situation, but uh, it may not you know take care of it. Now, also, does do these little spots do they move? Because there is like cottony mealy bugs and things like that that are actually insects, and there's cottony aphids too. So if these things are moving around, then this could be an insect and not a fungus circumstance. Eek. Okay. <laughs> so just go out and look um, at the look at the leaves and see if you see these things moving. Okay. And also, when is the best time to crown Bradford pear trees? Well, crowning is not always advisable, but uh, my you know since you're basically growing them for fall for fall color, but. In reality, everybody seems to really like the the, you know, the flowers in the springtime. So I would say if you're going to do any pruning, wait till they flower in the springtime and then prune it at that time. And within a, you oh. know, about a month or so after that. If you prune in the wintertime, so you're just they... cutting off the flower buds for that following spring. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much. Certainly. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, now we're going to go with Danny in Donaldson, Illinois. Hi, Danny. Good morning, Mike. We have a uh, peach tree. It's just loaded down with green peaches. And I was wondering, the last few years, before we've 
even been able to pick a peach. There's black beetles get on it. Uh, two questions, I guess. What to spray on it, and should I spray it ahead of time instead of waiting to see the first bug? And uh, what's safe to use on it so at least we can enjoy some of the fruit of this tree? Yeah, there, I mean, there's some organic you know, insecticides, but most of the insecticides are contact killers, especially ones that are going to be, let's say, organically oriented so you can put them on edible plant but a product called like neem oil or just go to your favorite garden center and tell them that you want an insecticide and then what you're going to have to do is just monitor this fairly closely and then when you start seeing the insects you're going to have to spray and it's going to have to directly hit the insect Okay, now, so there's not like a we'd use on soil like a pre-emergent no. or like a pre-bug. <laughs> well, maybe if you can come up with that, you could be a millionaire. But no, okay. right now there really isn't. Now, also there's a company called Bonide, and they have a, a insecticide called Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew, and what that that will kill contact wise and will kill you know, later on as well. So, in other words, it's absorbed in by the plant. Also, if you have an abundance of peaches, you consider taking a couple of them off because they may become too heavy and may cause cracks in the branches, which could lead some to the decline in your peach tree. Okay, I'll look into that Monide product. I've had real good luck with their products in the past, and yeah. it's uh, easy to get. It's Captain Jack's Dead Bug Bird. Exactly. Okay, I appreciate your help today. Certainly. Okay, we're going to check in with William in St. Charles. Hi, William. Well, good morning, everybody. Hi, Mike. I hope you're happy. I hope you're well. Yes, as far as I can tell. I'm glad. I'm sitting uh, on my patio enjoying my nice garden in the rain, and <laughs> I just wanted to make a comment about the uh, fellow who called about the wall. Uh-huh. Clematis or uh, wisteria. I know they're slow growing, but wouldn't they adhere to a, a wall like that? Clematis will not. It has to be. It has to climb and wind into a trellis. It doesn't have the ability. Pardon me. It has to be on a trellis. Yeah, it it doesn't have anything to make it attach. You know, a special what anything that can attach and climb. What you know, what the circumstances. They have to have a special adaptation along the stem, and clematis doesn't have it, and wisteria does not have it either. So, So in other words, they have to wind and twine. And you know, uh, on a structure, I was just uh, you. He made the call, and I'm looking at mine, and actually, mine is so long. My uh, uh, clematis, I actually attached a wire to the street light to make it trail even farther. Right. So, in other words, it's climbing on the wire. It's winding exactly. it around the wire. It's not actually attaching to the wire. Exactly. Well, it does. It has little fingers that kind of holds on to, but it's not like an ivy. I know. Right. Ivy has those fine veins that adhere to it, that brick and whatever. Right, exactly. Well, I was just calling to say hello. I oh. hope you all have a great day. <laughs> well, thank you. Bye. Pray, appreciate your insight. Okay, we're going to check in with Nick from St. Louis. Hi, Nick. Hi, good morning. How are you? Very good. You're good. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, I called you about birds eating my brick. I don't know if you recall that. That problem never got solved. I bought a new house, and underneath my back porch in an old South City house, I had ladders stored, uh, and I took them out recently. And underneath the wood is actually deteriorated in a way that I've never seen before, nor other couple other people I've asked. It looks hairy, for heaven's sake. 
Uh, it's not like a termite eight, eight, or it's not like it's just rotting away. It's actually all the fibers. It, it looks like a, a thick, a thick coat of hair. It's deteriorated into a thick coat of hair on the joists and then underneath some of the, the floor, uh, the uh, uh, floor planks. And I've never seen it before. Don't know what it is. No guess. And it scares me. <laughs> well, it scares me too. I will uh, tell but, you, you probably should call to the Home Improvement Show and talk to Scott Mosby. Okay. All right. That's, I was wondering about that would be the better question. All right. I appreciate your time, sir. Certainly. My, yeah. uh, my pleasure. That is a scary circumstance. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. I'll tell you, I don't know what the sky looks like where you are, but downtown, we're right next to the Soldiers Memorial, actually right between the Central Public Library and the Soldiers Memorial, and we're looking west Ooh, that sky is getting pretty darn dark. So, uh, and the temperature's holding. They're saying it's supposed to get up into the mid fifties and all our mid fifties. Yeah, mid nineties, and uh, you know, he, humid temps even higher than that. But it's going to have to jump pretty quickly. You know, and this uh, it looks like more rain and everything else. So, where are we headed, Alex? We're going to go to Rick in South County. Hi, Rick. Hey, Mike. Uh- Two things. Number one, I just want to give a shout out to one of your sponsors, and that's uh, St. Louis Composting. I'm a, a reasonably good customer of theirs, and I love going there because you can go. I've got a small car, and their bagged products are price competitive, and they are awesome. The service at their counter in Fenton is, or Valley Park rather, is fabulous. So kudos to them. Great, Great. company. Uh, Secondly, I see what I think are called snowball plants or snowball bushes. Yes. And I want to know, uh, is it, uh, are they hard to find locally at, a, at a, a nursery? And are they hard to, is this the right time to consider starting that? So on and so forth. Well, it's a variety of hydrangea. So, you know, if you want to find one, you know, and you're not exactly sure which variety you want, I'd head to the garden centers right now because they're going to be in bloom at the garden centers. This, again, you can plant this time of year, you know, perennials, you can plant transplants, you can plant new plant material from, let's say, nurseries. It's just it's going to take more care as far as watching, you know, initially. But, again, if you're going to get a, let's say you find one at a nursery, just make sure you dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball of the hydrangea but only about 80% is deep. So, in other words, the top of the root ball is going to be above the surrounding ground. But, yeah, they are spectacular this year. So, all the you know, sometimes we think rain kills a lot of things, but sometimes if you've got it planted properly in good soil, you know, the amount of rain we're having is, I mean, it's not all that detrimental. Right. They're woody stem, right? They need a lot of water, right? Well, they don't need a lot of water, no. But, yeah, they are woody stemmed. So just keep an eye on them and take care of them. Right, exactly. Are they going to be fairly easy to find locally? I would think, you know, I've, I would think most year-round nurseries. Now, box stores and things like that may not have them, and my tendency yeah. is to stay away from the box stores for plant material, but uh, that's just my own, let's say, prejudice or whatever. But year-round nurseries, they're going to give you instructions and everything else. Okay, sounds good. Thanks very much. Certainly. 
Okay, we're going to go to my hometown of Troy, Illinois, and talk to Lynn. Whoa, all right. Hi, Lynn. Hello. Uh, I was considering planting dragon's blood sedum. Yes. And I was wondering if you recommend that or if uh, there's something else. That is a great sedum. I mean, I like it because it's evergreen. It has some maroon foliage and then also has maroon color flowers. So a lot right. of the sedums kind of disappear in the wintertime. Uh, but the dragon's blood stays pretty much in place. It won't stay as big as it is, but it's going to have presence year-round. And I recommend a lot, you know, when I'm doing my walk and talks at people's landscape, landscaping, just make sure that, you know, that it's a well-drained circumstance because they cannot handle a wet soil. So, if, in other words, if you'd go out there right now and you haven't changed, you know, prepared the soil or anything else and it's really, really squishy, then I would say probably I wouldn't put the dragon's blood sedum in there. Okay. Yeah, I'm planning on putting it between the uh, sidewalk and the street. Perfect. And, uh, you know, I was wondering it would if they pile, pile snow on that in the wintertime, would that bother it? No, it won't. I mean, seri- it, you know, I'm not saying it sh- wouldn't happen, but it should not happen for the most part. And it be, kill off all the vegetation that's in there first. And then go ahead and go and plant it. So you may end up having to plant, not right now, but let's say sometime in August, September. And then also I would probably add a couple inches of pea gravel or an inch or so of pea gravel and mix that in with the existing soil before I plant it. Okay. And then you just kind of let it go. It's great. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Sedum Dragon's Blood. So other things that you need to be concerned about in your landscape is, as I was saying before, uh, with the rain and stuff, I just, I'm not able to get the weed be gone, the broadleaf weed killers on my lawn areas. And there's certain areas I'm still hand weeding certain spots, but there's, I mean, sometimes my knees and back and everything else just gets a little tired. But the warm season weeds that are out there right now, they're all the way from spurge, to ragweed, to purslane, to knotweed. There's a lot of also nutsedge, which takes a separate herbicide than, than the other things. But all these warm season weeds, the crabgrass, the violets, and everything else, they germinated last spring when the forsythia was in bloom. And then consequently, you know, they're just prolific right now. They're, I mean, they're wild and they're crazy and they're growing and they're dropping seeds. So... That's great. That's a warm season one. But just remember the ones that have disappeared, the weeds, the hen bits, the annual bluegrass and things like that. In August, to control those, that's when you put a pre-emergent down to control the cool season weeds. All right, we're going to check in with Sterling. Sterling, how are you? Hi. Um, I got a question about, I live in the city and I've got a big silver maple in the front yard. Mm-hmm. It's the the uh, roots have gone under the sidewalk and into my lawn, and on one side I can't grow any grass because right. the roots are just very aggressive. Can I grow a ground cover there? Oh yes, very much so. Some of the ivies and things like that should be able to handle you know that situation. It's not you know it's not ideal by any means, but in essence. That's about your only option other than just using a mulch. And when the root system spread as much as yours have, you don't want just a yard full of mulch. But take a look at a a couple different types of ivy, like Boston or Baltic ivy, 
and uh, you know, just kind of probe around and just cluster plant them. Don't ex- you know? Don't try to plant them every eight inches or anything like that. And just let them f- you know kind of get themselves established and then start covering in these areas where you're not able to grow anything. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, because I had sedum in there, and it just. The sedum couldn't survive. Right, because it's probably too shaded and uh, other factors as well. But the ivy seem to be able to handle that, you know, that situation that you're speaking of. Okay, Boston or Bal- uh, Baltic? Yeah. Boston. Yeah, okay. not Boston, not Boston. You want oh. Baltic? Just look at you know, just look at the evergreen ivies because Boston okay. ivy is not evergreen. Okay. So the okay. garden centers will have them in flats. They're in six packs. Uh, usually the flats will have 36 plants. And then, you know, the plants are individually, like, within a cell pack of two and a quarter inch. So that's probably what is I'd it, recommend. Is that common for the uh, silver maples root structure to be that aggressive? Absolutely. I grew up in Maple okay. Lane, and we had, <laughs> had them everywhere. So, yeah. uh, folks, okay. 314-436-7900, 1-800-925-1120. Back after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thanks, George, and for passing the baton. Folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour, of which I'll be giving shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. By the way, thanks for having me on your show. If you were not there, I would not be here. And we're here to discuss plant selection, cares, ups and downs, and all-arounds for annuals, for bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, ah, uh, yes, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I like sharing my thoughts, but remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path that will work or to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Alex is behind the big board. He's the one who answers the phone and will ask you your name and where you're calling from, and then we'll go from there. During the week, I spend my time doing landscape consulting, which I do, I call a walk and talk, and I do some on Saturdays as well because uh, things are really tight. So today I'm headed to Oakville and in another one in South County as well. So I come to your home and uh, share 40-plus years' experience in the outdoors. Ah, yes. And you can go to MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. That's where my email address and phone number is. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Today's tip of the trial. Wow. I mean, when you got weather like this, but you still want to get out and do something really kind of unique, well, what about heading west to Chesterfield and go to Faust Park, but more specifically, go to the Sophia M. Sachs Butterfly House. That's in Faust Park, and today and tomorrow are the last two days for Project Pollinator. It's an art show, but also it's just kind of, it's related to this is National Pollination Week. And uh, the, today and tomorrow are the last two days, and the art show is a, kind of a neat thing because when, you know, Tracy and I go to a lot of different art shows and, and things along that line. But sometimes when they have exhibits by kids, local kids, local students and things like that, all the way from really young to, you know, high school, 
I mean, I'm just amazed by the abilities. And part of the circumstance today is going to be the art show at the Butterfly House. So it's going to be related to butterflies and the pollinators and things like that. So if you want to get out of the rain, potentially, and go into someplace where not only what I'm talking about, but if you've not been to the Butterfly House recently, I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling. It's just it's really calming. It just makes you feel really relaxed to see the butterflies floating around and seeing it's you just got to go. There's no getting around it. Again, today and tomorrow, you get to see the art show as well. So, if you have any questions or concerns or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Why don't we take a call? We're going to go to Granite City and talk to Sandy. Hi Sandy. Hey, Sandy, are you there? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Mike, I just have one question. I have a a patio peach, and it's on the southwest corner of my house, and it bloomed pretty in in April, you know, and it's about three years old, and uh, since then, it's nothing. Could the rain have affected it any, or is it uh, not a good tree for this area? No, it's, it's a fine tree. It's just really young. Some of the trees, some of the fruit trees, you you depending upon which variety it is and what's you know, say sti- size, because there's dwarf, semi dwarf, and then standard size. Yeah. And so, basically, the bigger they are, the longer you have to wait before you get fruit production. So, a patio one, I would think you'd have to probably wait any place between three to five years before you're going to get any kind of fruit set at all. And if you get fruit set up prior to that, you're probably better off to knock the fruit off. Mm-hmm. And let the tree use, rather than the energy it's going to spend to grow the fruit, let it use its energy to kind of get itself established to be able to do better production in the future. Okay, well, but since it's flowered, it it has no leaves. No it, leaves? No, nothing. Oh. It's oh. like it's uh, dead. I don't know. Oh, I, I thought, know thought you meant it just didn't have any fruit set. No, oh. no. That's not good. I know. And, I, <laughs> you know, my my I asked my lawn service if they perhaps hit it, you know, when they were treating, uh, you know, they should, you know, what they used wouldn't have done that. But I don't know. I mean, it was, like I said, blooming beautifully in April, and then it's nothing. Well, the flower buds are set the previous year, and the foliage buds are set then as well. So it maybe you were absolutely right that the amount of rain in this location, you know, the planting, maybe it was a little deep, and the root system has just been drowned. Okay. So if it doesn't have any leaves on it, it's not, it's not good. Not gonna come back. Probably not. <laughs> oh, and it was so pretty. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Just have it removed and something else. And yeah, again, and make sure they dig the hole three times the di- diameter of the root ball, but only eighty percent is deep. So in other words, it's gonna be it's gonna be on a, look like it's on a hump. Okay. To help with the drainage okay. situations. Well, is it in a bad, I mean, because it's up against brick, you know, it's uh, a corner that comes out, um, and it's not real large where it is. It's a, it's a little miniature, a dwarf, you right. know. So that should be okay where it's planted. Yeah, as long as it's not too close to the house, because even a dwarf is going to get, you know, I mean, it's going to be like an umbrella. It's going to start spreading yeah. out. Sure. So uh, just make okay. sure it's probably at least eight or eight feet away from the house. Okay. 
Okay, I hate to lose it, but I thought maybe there was some miracle you could tell me to bring it back. <laughs> well, if we have a full moon that you can actually see, you can go out and do a dance under the full moon. It might help. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, thanks for your help. Certainly. Sorry. Yeah. If you want to, you could leave it again, but uh, it doesn't sound real good. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Okay, we're going to go to South City and talk to Ron. Hi, Ron. Hello. Hi. Yeah. I've got two holly trees, bushes that are 12 feet tall, and the branches go all the way to the ground. Mm-hmm. Should I be scraping out the dead leaves under the tree or leave it as it is? No, you don't need to scrape them out. I mean, that's, okay. that's kind of like a mulch, a natural right. mulch of itself. And those leaves are just internal leaves that are no longer are getting any sunlight, so the tree just shuts them off, and that's what causes them to fall. Just okay. so you don't and have. The water gets to them in spite of that coverage. Yeah, I mean, the moisture is going to be there, and they're actually going to help you know, with moisture content by just being like what an you know a normal mulch would do. Right. So, it, you know, let's say it, it reduces the amount of dehydration that the soil is going to do. They're doing well. I don't want to lose them, but yeah. whatever it takes, I'll, I'll do. You know? Yeah, just leave them alone, and if the foliage is colorful and dark green and everything else, if it starts to turn yellowish and the veins are still dark green, then you need to get some iron sulfate and produ- you know, and put that around the plant to change the soil pH a little bit. Okay. Good point. I appreciate that information. Certainly. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we're going to go to Swansea and talk to Mary. Hi, Mary. Good morning, Annette. I have two um, questions. One is uh, first regarding my hostas, and that a few of my hostas have actual like holes in their leaves, right? And I um, don't see any bugs around them, so I don't know exactly what's causing them or how to treat it. Basically, it's slugs or snails, and probably we have more slugs than we do snails. They're on the underside of the leaf. Go out early in the morning or later in the day and just turn the leaf upside down because that's where they hang out. Okay. And you can use a slug and snail bait. Uh, you know, just pluck them off. What I do is when I find any slugs or snails on my hosta, I throw them out in the street and let them fry. <laughs> okay. And that's so you can actually just pick the snails off. Yeah. It's probably going to slug, so it won't have a, an actual shell. It'll just be the okay. slimy thing. Okay. And that. Okay. And is there, should I treat the plant or put anything around it to help prevent them? Well, I mean, what you can do is, I mean, some people put a bowl of beer, you know, around their hosta, just set a couple bowls of beer, and the slugs are actually attracted to the beer. They get into the beer and then they drown. Oh, okay. And there is actually, you know, a slug snail bait, which you can sprinkle around the plants. And also, what the you know, it attracts them to it. They'll eat it, and it kills them that way. Okay, and that well, wonderful. Well, thank you for that. Um, my second question is about I have uh, razzle dazzle crepe myrtles, mm-hmm. and that, and I want to transplant them to a different part of my yard. And I didn't know, you know, some of them have a fairly significant root system, sure. and that um, I didn't know if I could do it this time of year or. I would not do it this time of year. This is the time of year when they're supposed to be, you know, putting on their show or getting ready to put on their show. I would probably do it sometime in the springtime, uh, let's say around uh, Ides of March, mid-March or something like that, before any kind of new growth begins because they're not going to have any new growth. That's when I do okay. any kind of transplanting for anything that flowers in the summertime, be it rosa sheeran, be it butterfly bush, be it crepe myrtle. 
Oh, okay, that is super in that to know that in just general. And when I do transplant it, is that also like I should keep um, part of it, the root ball above the ground? Absolutely. Because if there's any settling at all, you don't want any kind of dip right around where the stems are coming up out of the ground because that's going to cause root rot. Okay, so that is a good kind of rule to use for any plant that you're transplanting. and transplanting or a new plant or anything at all. Okay, and that that is super to know. And if I wanted to trim the Creighton myrtle, is that also something I should do in March? Yes, because you prune now, you're cutting off potential flower buds. Right, and And that I didn't know whether it was... So you got to okay. do any kind of pruning before the let's say the you start seeing the fl- the foliage buds open up, you know before it starts pushing out leaves. Okay, is that also something like can you do in the like fall, like after it's bloomed and everything? Or yeah, no, if you want spring to, is sure. the best. Yeah, you could do okay. That. And that okay because it gets you know some of the um, vines and get really woody if you don't trim them. It seems like right. And that okay. And do you recommend like should like how far should I trim that back to prevent it to from all turning into wood? Well, I don't. You know, I don't like to do heavy pruning. Twenty five percent is a maximum. Twenty five percent. Okay. Right. Well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Great, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. All right. Where are we headed, Alex? We're going to head to Collinsville and talk to Randy. Hi, Randy. How you doing? Very good. I've got a tomato plant. Uh, it's, it's grown. It looks really nice. Gets all the blooms on it. They die and, and don't. Don't do nothing. You know, it's probably, even though tomatoes need a lot of uh, moisture, when they've gotten plenty of moisture, it's probably just related to the amount of moisture they're getting, so they're aborting the flowers. So So we're getting too much? Yeah, because of the rain. And are you fertilizing them with a tomato food? Yeah. Okay, so you're doing everything you can, so it's all weather-related. Well, I've got it sitting in a bucket where it don't get in the rain. But I've been watering them myself. Really? And they're in the full sun? Yep. Boy, well, that's, you know. not, 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 they don't get sun all day, but, I mean, it gets all the afternoon and evening sun. Right. Uh, then, uh, you know, I'm clueless as far as why they're aborting the flowers. If the foliage looks good and the plant looks healthy, and the only thing, you know. I, yeah, you know, it's a good-looking plant. I mean, I don't know what's what's the deal. Is it done it, done it to me last year, too? Wow. Is it the same variety as last year? I don't know what I had last year, but, yeah, I don't know. I had it in the ground last year, so I tried it in the bucket this year. Right. I mean, that you're making good you know, good choices, but uh, maybe next year just get a variety specifically that says, you know, with a name on it, like a cherry tomato or something like that, so you know what you're actually getting. Well, I mean, I, I don't water it, I mean, like once a week, but. I don't know. I can't figure it out. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's underwatering. Does a bucket or you know, that you're growing it in? Does it have drainage holes so when you water, oh, yeah. the water drains out? Yeah, so, yeah I'm doing everything. I'm, you know, right. It sounds like you're doing everything right. Why it's aborting the flowers? I'm not really sure. Okay, I thought I'd ask you. Yeah, never hurts to ask. I wish I had you know an answer for you. Yeah, I can't figure it out either. I don't know. 
Well, thank you. Certainly. Uh, sorry. Does that mean I... How, do I... I've been fired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to go to St. Charles and talk to Jim. Hi, Jim. Hey, how are you? Thanks so much for your help and advice. Sure. That great. Uh, I've got a really... I had a really thick uh, yard and lawn, and now I'm noticing that I'm getting a lot of brown... Uh, stalks of, of grass coming up, and it looks like spots. Is that, I know it's probably some type of fungicide, but is that simply because of all the moisture we had, and it would do me no good to put any fungicide down now because of all the rain? Right. It's either that or it's the annual bluegrass, which is a cool-season grass, which comes up, and now it's dying off, and it looks like clumps of brown grass blades. Okay. That's good. Yeah, because it's kind of interspersed between all of the healthy grass leaves. Right. So it looks like... Okay, so it could be it could be some of the annual uh, bluegrass. Right, exactly. That would be my guess, as opposed to a fungus circumstance. Okay. The other question I have is, um, what's what's up with all the toads that we have now? I mean, I have a I have a built-in pool, and I pull fifty toads a Whoa. day out of the pool. <laughs> so, I, and it's and they're throughout my yard. You walk through the yard, and they're hopping all over the place. Have you heard anybody else making comments about that? Because it's kind of people around me. In the same subdivision, I had the same issue. No, I haven't heard anybody else talking about toads, for sure. So they must be driven up from wherever they normally would be, which I'm assuming there's some creeks and stuff like that around you or ponds, and driven to the higher grounds. So that's the only thing I can figure. I've never seen it it like this before. So (laughs) anyway, okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for all your help. I appreciate it. Certainly. Yeah, it's just kind of like deer and other wildlife are driven up out of the lower areas. And so I guess obviously even toads. All right. We're going to talk to Joe. Hi, Joe. Hello, Joe. Are you there? All right. Let's try Ron and Breeze. All right. Hi, Ron. Pam, I'm sorry. No, Ron. Okay. Hi, Ron. Hello, Ron. Are you there? Hello. Hell, yes. Go ahead. I'm not Ron from Breeze, but I'm Robert from High Ridge. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry, we can't talk to you. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I've been called worse. Um, <laughs> Mike, I got down at some property between closer Rosario, 44. I'll make it quick. Run into a lot of carpenter ants on my oaks, and I know we've had the ash borers come through there, and I lost a lot of it. What do they make a spray for them carpenter ants? I can tell when the root system starts getting exposed down below. I had one. I had a tree guy come all the way out here from out there from High Ridge, and I only had like two inches of tree around the base of the tree. When he cut it, he couldn't believe the thing was still standing. Wow! And then carpenter ants. Ants ate like the first eight, nine feet of it. I still had leaves on it, but the lower branches are starting to fall. That's why I said I mean, it was it was probably two feet diameter. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, no, it was a big oak, and I hated to lose it, but if it would have fell in the pond, I'd get a 955 to get it out. Right. Um, you, you don't any spray, because i got another oak that's closer to the cabin I hate to lose. What I would probably do is in this type of cir- circumstance, I would go to the University of Missouri Extension Service, you know, so and just see what they recommend as far as control in for a carpenter and circumstance, like in a natural setting, which it sounds like what you have. 
Right. So University of Missouri, the Agriculture Department, the Extension Service, and then they'll have a, you know, an area where you can ask a question and they'll respond back to you. Okay, very good. And what about the stink bugs? <laughs> good luck with those. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever get one on the back of your neck and smack it and think it's a fly because it, is, it doesn't smell good for the next three hours. So. Well, yeah. The best thing for stink bug control is an insecticidal soap or diatomaceous earth. Or there are stink bug traps and lures, too. So, yeah, stink bugs. I haven't had any for a while, but as kids, we get involved with them, and oh, that's horrible. All right, very good, Mike. I appreciate it. Yep, so again, for the stink bug control, insecticidal soap, diatomaceous earth, which you sprinkle around, and you can use, I mean, there is stink bug traps and lures, too. Yeah, but I want to ask you one more question real quick. Who checks the ID on the slugs and snails when you put the bowl of beer out there? Who checks their IDs before they get the beer? <laughs> to make sure they're old enough to be drinking beer? <laughs> I'll see you, Mike. Yeah, I'm sure you have to sit out there yourself and check their IDs. <laughs> okay, we're going to go to Chesterfield and talk to Mary Ann. Hi, Mary Ann. Or Ron, I'm sorry. Oh, Ron. Ron and Breeze, sorry. Ron and Breeze. Yes, hell, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, I have four American hollies. I'm thinking of removing one because it's too close to another. Okay. But I don't want to accidentally remove a male plant. The American holly, they don't have male and female. They have both flowers on the same plant. Well, okay, I was just going to say all four plants right now have little green berries. Right. So they self-pollinate within their own plant. So in other words, if you had only an American holly and no, only one single one, you'd still get berries. Ah, okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, and also now the one you take out, realize that because they've probably grown, grown in close proximity, you could have kind of a hollow space in the other two on either side of it as they remain. Oh, yeah. Okay. So just watch out for that. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Okay, now we're going to go to Mary Ann in Chesterfield. All right, Mary Ann. Yes, hi, Mike. Hi. Um, uh, I have a question about my two Wajillias. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Wajillia, Wajillia plants. Wajillia, that sounds perfect. Wajillia. I have two, and they are variegated, and they're beautiful. They're kind of new to me. I've not known about these plants until recently, and they get beautiful little pink flowers on them in the spring. Right. But uh, occasionally, both of these plants send out some stems that are not variegated. Right. They're just solid green. Right. And I'm, I, I like the variegation, so I don't want them to turn all green. So is there something I can do about that? No. I mean, chemically, you can't put something into the soil to change the color or anything else. This is just because this is a hybrid and it's not a hundred percent hybrid. In other words, in relationship to the variegated foliage, it's sending out shoots that just you know are kind of a little bit beyond the reality of the variegation. So just any of the stems that come out that are not variegated, just cut them off. Okay, that's what I've been doing. Okay, perfect. And that seems to be working. Okay, so I have one more question about them now. They're they're finished blooming right. and they're getting very tall. Uh, and I don't want them that tall, so I want to prune them or cut them back. How is the best way to do that? Should I 
do it like I do my boxwoods and just shave them off? No, don't do that. I, don't do, you know, no. do, because this is not like a boxwood thick and dense. They, you know, there's individual branches coming up. So just selectively, you know, take individual branches that are too long and cut those off. And the ideal time to do it, get it done as soon as you possibly can. Okay. As soon as it stops raining. (laughs) (laughs) No, go out in the rain and do it. (laughs) I might. I might have to. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, I feel better about my plants now. (laughs) You've done everything perfectly. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for your show. Mike Miller, KMWARS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And we'll get to you as soon as we possibly can. I'm going to bring this back out. Uh, Research by Dr. Gary Watson at the Morton Arboretum has shown the roots of fescues. They can have really a bad problem related to, guess what, moisture, root suffocation. So just remember, this is a grass, but still, all plant material, they have roots, and the roots are below the, you know, well, not all, because orchids, they have roots, and many of the orchids that are not, uh, let's say, in the ground type orchids, they grow on the side of trees and bromeliads as well. But anyway, so wet, 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 wet soil can have a bad impact on plant material if the soil has not been prepared properly. So where are we headed, Alex? We're going to talk to Bob and the pair. Hi, Bob. Good morning. Hi. Um, have a house with uh, a boxwood, Korean boxwood hedge, healthy, so forth, but they've gotten too high. How far can I whack those back, and when would I do that? Uh, you wouldn't want to do it going into summertime because you're going to get major sunburn on them. You're better off to do it as kind of early-ish in the spring before the new growth begins. And don't cut okay. them back far enough where you're going to you know, just have two or three leaflets on the end of the stems. Because when you look back in the interior of the boxwood, you can see there's not very many. There's no leaves kind of on the inside. So you probably right. only want to cut them off, you know, a couple inches at the most. I don't know how big they are or anything else. And also make sure when you cut them that the bottom is wider than the top. So in other words, it's at a slant so we can get keep plenty of sun hitting the lower part of the plant. If you don't do that, then you're going to end up with growth on the top of the plant, but then you're going to end up with, let's say, you know, stems on the bottom of the plant that don't have any foliage on them at all because they're getting overshadowed by the wider growth at the top. So in other okay. words, you want okay. to prune them kind of like at a pyramid. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yep. Bye-bye. See you. And where are we headed, Alex? We are heading to Pam in Oakville. Hi, Pam. Oh. Hey, Pam, are you there? Hello, Pam. I guess Pam's not there. Sounds like we can hear, but uh, she's not answering. Okay, we'll go to Edna. Hi, Edna. How are you today? Edna, are you there? Ooh. 
And we lost her. Let's try Elaine and Fenton. Hi, Elaine. We need to take a break. Yeah, let's take a break. Okay, great. Back at in a few seconds. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. All right, are we headed to Gary's yard? Yeah, we're going to go talk to Gary. Hey, Gary, how are you? Maple tree about 40 feet tall, and it's got dead branches in the center of the crown, and the periphery of the crown seems like the leaves are wilting, but lower the leaves look healthy. Any ideas? Uh, now, what kind of tree was this? It's a maple tree. I'm not sure what variety. I just moved in in January. Had red flowers in the spring with lots of seeds. Yeah, obviously a red maple. But uh, so, are the, the let's say the amount of branches that are, so let's say, problematic, losing, lost leaves or whatever, is it like half the tree or is it a third of the tree? No, it's, it's, it's uh, three out of many. Oh, so I would say then probably you just need to have the tree dead wooded. And the, probably the reason why there's trouble at the top, we had some, you know, circumstances earlier in the year where we had some really cold spells for short periods of time and that could have impacted the all the leaf buds on the top of the maple tree versus the ones that are closer down to the ground which are protected by houses or other trees or whatever it happens to be okay so i don't think it's you know necessarily something to be overly worried about but uh you know, you might have an arborist come out and take a look, but uh, maple trees do need to be deadwooded occasionally. And if this tree hasn't been deadwooded, then uh, you might think about getting that done. Okay, so it doesn't sound like it's terminal. No, it does not. Okay. As long as, it, help. As, long as you got Go a ahead. big bunch of healthy-looking leaves, no, it's not terminal. Okay, sounds good. All right. Thank, thank you. Certainly. Okay, we're going to go to Ann in Pittsfield, Illinois. Hi, Ann. Hi, Mike. Um, I have two poinsettias that are still in full bloom. Perfect. They're really quite pretty right now. But I was wondering if I needed to cut off the blooms so that they will reset and bloom again at the proper time. No, you don't really need to. I mean, just leave them alone and just enjoy them. And if they get out of sequence and you're really desperate for some, let's say, in the around the holidays, then just buy yourself a new one. But, I mean, the, the flowers are really tiny. The bracts are actually just leaves that have the color, and that coloration is just to attract pollinators to the small flowers. The flowers are about the size of a dime. True, true. I, I realize that. Okay, so they but, are uh, still in flower, so they haven't stopped flowering? No. Mm-mm. That's really kind no. of unusual. So I would say take a couple selfies so you can prove it to your friends and other you know other things. But uh, beyond that, i just leave them alone. Well, I was afraid that they would not continue to bloom and bloom this, later this year. Well, if they could, you know... Basically, they stop flowering, and you want to, you know, you want to sort of like just leave, you know, leave them alone, and just I would just leave them alone, to be honest with you. Well, the red one is uh, the new new leaves that are on it are starting to turn red too right now. Right, perfect. So, just, okay. I mean, everything cannot be sort of like 
we're not robots and the plants are not robots. So sometimes you're going to have certain things that are kind of out of sequence and you just have to, if it's great that it's an enjoyable sequence. That's true. They're, they're still very pretty. Right. So, but I just, I wanted them to bloom this later. <laughs> right. I understand. So I would say just enjoy, like, and just enjoy. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Certainly. Okay, we're going to talk to Tom in Caseyville. Hi, Tom. Or Ken, I'm sorry. Ken in Caseyville. Oh, hi, Ken. Uh, hello, this is Ken. Okay, good. Hey, Mike, I got a Yoshino cherry. In fact, I got two of them. And this one is like 15 inches in diameter at the, at the uh, trunk. Uh-huh. And it's up, dropping leaves like it's fall. And the leaves got little pinholes in them about the size of a pinhead. What's the matter with it? It's probably weather-related as much as anything. So as long as it's not dropping major amounts of leaves and it's just dropping some, even if these little pinholes are there, that's you a know, problem from who knows you know when. But it has nothing to do with leaf drop. I think the leaf drop is more related just to the weather and things along that line. Yoshino cherries, I mean, they're pretty tough, but... These are getting to be you know, mature plants, and I'm not saying they're, they're going to be sort of on the downhill side, but 15-inch trunk is a pretty good-sized trunk. Now, is it because it's got too much water? Right. Probably more so that than anything. Oh, okay, because I got two of them in the front yard, and only one of them is doing that, and it gets a lot of water because there's a spot there where oh. it holds the water. Oh, yeah, then that's definitely it. Okay, and my neighbor's got one, but his is much smaller, but it's dropping just a handful of leaves, but I got a lot of leaves for Right. But it's it's not going to hurt it. Well, we hope not, but, I mean, if the root system is not getting any oxygen because the water's sitting around it because of all this exceptional amount of rainfall, it could lead to a sort of a downhill slide. Okay. Well, let's... I'll, I'll say a little prayer tonight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. For a part to stop raining so much. That's yeah, the right. It's been unbelievable. Okay. All right. Okay, thank you, Mike. Yep. Okay, we're going to go to Tom and Crestwood. Hi, Tom. Hi, Mike. Um, I've got a, uh, about a, I don't know, I've had it about six or seven years, about a four-foot-tall um, Japanese maple, blood maple or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. And um, it came out this spring. All the leaves came out. Everything was fine with it. And within about a 10-day period, all the leaves browned up and withered up, and now are falling. Uh, the stems seem to be dry and, and getting dark. Wondering what could have happened to it. Uh, base probably what happened is you know weather related or whatever it happens to be. Uh, you know it's base it's dead as you understand. But the actually pushing out the foliage in the springtime that's. You know, the ability of a plant to do that is set the previous fall. So something happened through the course of when the buds were set for the for the foliage last fall. And then when they came out this spring and then just basically disappeared or died or turned brown or whatever. And they dangle on and all that other stuff. So my again, it's this rain has caused some major problems with some plant materials. And why, you know, yours is having this trouble and a neighbor's is not or anything like that. Everything is atypical. It's to, related to one specific circumstance, and this is what's happened to yours. Okay, we're going to go to Alan and Baldwin. Hi, Alan. Hi, good morning, Mike. Good morning. I have a question. 
I've got a pin oak tree. It's about two feet in diameter at the base, and uh, it's turning yellow at the top. In the past, I guess in the last 40 years, as far as I can remember, I've given it iron. Uh, the first time some years ago, augered holes in the gr- ground around the grip line, and then the last couple times I've used the plugs. And I have two questions. Number one, uh, could it also possibly be needed in fertilizer? And uh, if it does need iron, which is the better way to go, the plugs or the holes in the ground? The plugs I wouldn't fool around with. I would get iron sulfate. To, so make sure that the sulfur is going to change the pH of the soil. And then with the change in the pH, then the oak tree can uptake the iron. And so go, go out about halfway from the trunk to the drip line, start augering holes, put them about, uh, oh, every, let's say, four or five feet apart. And then in between each one of those, I would auger a hole and put compost in there to help your soil, too. Okay. About how much, uh, what volume of uh, the iron sulfate would I put in each hole? Uh, it would probably say on the label, but uh, you just, you know, it's kind of hard to you know, know exactly how much to put in. But mm-hmm. uh, I would, even if you wanted to, you could mix in the iron sulfate with the compost that you're going to backfill these holes with. So you're going to go, let's say, six inches deep and then just backfill it totally with compost and just throw in some iron sulfate in each hole. Is the compost a fertilizer, or what about fertilizer? No, don't fertilize. No fertilizer. No, okay. you're basically going to feed the soil. That's what you're trying to do. So you're trying okay. to create healthy soil with the proper nutrients. All right, all right. Okay, thank you very much. Yep, and thanks to everybody for calling in. It looks like uh, we're kind of out of time today. So uh, Albert Pujols is in town, and uh, wow, when you think about it, it was only one week ago when the Blues were parading down Market Street. Boy, things happen so fast, and it seems like decades ago, but it wasn't. Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline. See you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.